When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. This show is brought to you by The Makery, the podcast network for makers. All right, welcome to The Handmade Podcast. I am here with Paul Pinto, Derek from Alden, and my name is Chris Zepp from Make Everything, and this is episode one. Um, This is a, a new adventure for the three of us. We've been friends for a long time. We all do similar work, make things in our shops, and we all run our own businesses uh, doing different things involved with fabricating, building for clients, building for ourselves, and learning new things along the way. So we'll start off with some introductions. So if you're not familiar with us, you can get to know us, and then we'll get right into what we're working on. So Paul, you want to give it a start? Sure. Um, so my name is Paul Pinto. I um, am a metal fabricator and a blacksmith, but more of a metal fabricator these days. I haven't you know, forged anything in a long time, actually. But I own a small business called Fairfield Steelworks in Fairfield, Connecticut. Um, and I do miscellaneous metal fabrication, some small structural steel, um, and a little bit of blacksmithing on the side. And I also have a YouTube channel. And I guess now we have a podcast. So that's the next thing on the list. Is that what we're doing? This is for a podcast? I no, thought this we were just hanging radio. out tonight. This is a radio, Derek. You guys tricked me. This is 2020. <laughs> so I'm Derek Forrester, Derek from Malden. I have a small basement shop. Um, I have a regular nine-to-five job where I work for a public utility that begins with a V that will remain unnamed. But I um, had my builder's license, did a lot of construction on the side, and the last 10 years kind of got into furniture and making other things more recently into a little bit of metalworking. And as I got into watching people on YouTube, started to post, got some friends and kind of trying to broaden my horizons into a little bit more metalworking and getting out of the woodworking. And that's my gig. And you've been trying to grow your beard longer and longer every day. Not intentionally. It just happened. You'll shave it when you get to a million what's, subs. What's the max length you like to go on that thing? Um, Right about here. Right about there. It's, it's, it's got to be cut For back. the people oh. that are listening, how long is that beard? Um, Let's see. I happen to have a tape measure right here. Let's see. Where are you going to start it from? Your, the bottom of your lip or your My chin? chin? Oh, your I'll chin? Go from, I'll go from the lip? From the uh, lip. From the I don't lip. know. Right we can do both. That is right there. What's that? That's it's a solid seven inches right there to the longest hair. Right there, it's got the anglers. Nine. That's a nine. Nine inches. Nine inches. Is it nine? Oh my god. Yeah. yeah. Nine well, inches. My name is Chris Epp, and I own and operate Make Everything Workshop. Um, I started this business here three years ago as sort of a maker space and educational space, but I've always been fabricating uh, here on my own. The space has kind of transformed into just basically my shop, but I also teach welding. Um, and I also work a nine to five job. Um, and I work for a developer helping uh, as a construction manager for the development of commercial buildings. And right now I work in New Jersey, but my shop is in New York. But been doing this a while and been doing the YouTube thing for a while and trying to transition into more educational projects and broadening my reach as a teacher versus a fabricator. So we all do a little bit of everything, but one of the things that we all try and do um, and we all are constantly learning on a day-to-day basis is how to operate ourselves as businesses 
and it's something that um we you know we always kind of feed off each other for there's always advice floating around and stuff like that so the hope is that as we kind of navigate through our projects we can also give a little bit of the things that we've learned about our businesses as well and i think uh together we'll we'll have a good time and learn as we go so moving right along since everyone knows who we are now um let's talk a little bit about um what we're working on today we're not going to get into the whole week's review but let's talk about what we were working on today paul today, like this exact today. day or just in well today was a little bit of a slow day for me um corona's corona's got everything slowed down for us um so i pretty much just cleaned up the shop and got everything organized and i was going to shoot a video and then i was missing you know a part of a tripod because I got a new camera and my sister took my old camera. So she had it and she had the part I needed. So I couldn't shoot a video, but I guess I might as well talk about kind of what I'm doing, you know, over the, the past couple weeks and what I'm going to do. Um, I have multiple jobs going on. Some of them got delayed because of Corona. Um, but I have a stainless steel railing job, which I'm currently working on, which is one of my bigger jobs. Um, and then I've been doing a bunch of smaller little railing jobs, just regular steel, um, painted steel railings just for a couple small locations. And then currently we were just, um, dealing with, um, the detailer for a structural job I'm doing in Rowayton, Connecticut, which is a house right on the water. It's a pretty, it's a pretty nice size job. Um, and it's a little complicated because the property is like on a postage stamp, like right on the water. There's like a wall that drops right down to the water. There's no yard. And it's going to be, you know, a nightmare trying to put the steel in. But we're trying to work all that stuff out now with the detailer. So explain what a detailer is because a lot of people oh, yeah. don't know what a steel detailer is. So basically, you know, you have – well, I'll start first with like an architect and the engineer. Your architect, uh, most people know, designs, you know, the building or the house. And they design the way it looks. Then you have to have your engineer come in and, you know, design how it's going to be constructed and, and do all the engineering work to make sure, you know – the building is going to be structurally sound. And so the engineer will come up with a set of plans and he'll lay out all the different size beams you need, the size columns, the, the type of connection you need to do. Um, but it's not, you know, it's not in a lot of detail. So then you have to send it to a detailer who takes those plans and actually designs the entire, you know, connection. Each steel beam gets its own shop drawing. Each column gets its own drawing. Each connection gets its own drawing. Um, and so that's, you know, he designs every aspect of the steel and then you, me as the, you know, steel fabricator, I get those drawings and I have to fabricate it exactly to those drawings. So it's a very, you know, important person, you know, a very important step of steel fabrication. Cause if there's any mistakes in that, you know, it could throw off your whole job. So you have to make sure you have a really, you know, good detailer. Um, and luckily we do. It's interesting because most people that know anything about building, you know, like Derek and myself, like being from kind of residential construction backgrounds, we only know the architect and the engineer. There is yeah. no, you know, we don't ever think about a detailer. Yeah. Because um, it's exactly. a lot more conventional building. But I think a lot of people don't even realize that there's that extra step that goes into steel buildings. Um, and, and this is relatively, I mean, not relatively, this is new to you as well, just like learning the process of, of putting up you know, buildings and mezzanines and stuff like that. Yeah, uh, exactly. I'm still learning a lot of stuff. Luckily I have my dad to kind of guide me in the right direction. He's been in the steel business for a while now. Um, so I definitely have been relying on him and I have a really good engineer, um, who we've known for a while and we've used for a long time and he's, you know, he's great. He's a really smart guy. And so he's been teaching me all sorts of stuff and I've been, you know, applying what I know. So it's been working out good so far, but I'm excited to get this job in particular going, um, which is kind of a good job to kind of get warmed up on before I have a really big job coming up. Hopefully sometime in the summer, it got pushed back, uh, got pushed back a lot because of, you know, the virus It shut down, um, you know, all the cities and the courts and the, you know, offices and stuff. So, you know, it's hard to get building permits and get things approved. So that's really been the the big, you know, you know, speed bump for me is not really like us as a business, but just our customers have gotten their jobs kind of shut down because of the virus, but things are starting to open back up now. So everything should be picking up soon. So once the detail writes up everything, does it go back to the engineer or does he have the final say? 
Yeah, or you can, how does that yeah, work? They'll send it back to the engineer to um to get things approved. And that's actually one of the things we've been, you know, talking about right now. The engineer for this job, the engineer and the architect didn't, you know, do the best job. And that a lot of times on smaller jobs you'll find that. Um but the I think what ended up listening. happening was <laughs> what's that? So let's hope they're not listening. Not well listening. <laughs> um they don't they don't know what a podcast is. I think the engineer is about a hundred years old, which is why we got problems. So <laughs> I, I hope guess, nobody listens 100 years old. Well, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, maybe they will. I don't know. But anyway, the um, I think what ended up happening was the architect did most of you know the, the layout and did most of the designing. And then he just knew an engineer and he kind of had the engineer like look over it and stamp it. So things weren't, you know, thoroughly laid out. So when the detailer came by, we had to go do site measurements out in the field with the detailer. Then he went back with all his measurements looked at the plans and realized a bunch of things just like wouldn't work. He was using crazy, um, bizarre shaped columns, huge beams that didn't need to be that big, all sorts of different, you know, like big moment connections and things. So we, we kind of had to straighten some things out a little bit. So hopefully, um, you know, that'll get figured out in the next couple of days and we'll actually be able to start soon. Yeah. Uh, all these, all those, like those field visits though, I know like at least in the in the work that I do. Um, cause I'm, I'm from a residential building background, but now the project I'm on is a 600,000 square foot, um, commercial building. All those engineer visits, you learn so much oh, yeah. every time you walk yeah. a site with an engineer. That's even if they've got, you know, three years experience, it's three years experience as an engineer that you don't have. And yeah. there's such a, it's such a, a great experience always, even if it, even if it's like kind of a, negative visit where you know something's wrong and they've got to figure out how to fix it that's probably where you learn the most mm. but that's awesome that that's great so does the engineer have the final say or the detailer well the engineer you know gotta put his stamp on it yeah so yeah as long as you know the detailer doesn't like switch up the size of the the beams and everything without him knowing yeah so yeah. the engineer I, I'm, I'm does have the final say but the detailer really you know designs um all the connections to you know to the exact specifications that i need to be able to fabricate them if you look on like an engineer's plans it'll just say like you know hss which is like um the column and then like w like i don't know six by 20 or something that's that's an i-beam and it'll just show where the two things meet they don't actually show exactly what the connection is they'll show sometimes a detail like up in the corner of what the connection needs to be whether it's like a shear connection or a moment connection or something but it's but, always um, to be verified. Explain yeah. the explain how how uh, explain the W's on the I beams because a lot of people also don't know that. So the W's is, is well, I beams are measured in you know like like a W six. It's kind of hard to explain, but a W six would mean like the I beam from flange to flange is is roughly six inches tall. And then so the, the eye part, the eye yeah, part, the, is six the top tall. and bottom of the, yeah, from the top and the, to the bottom of the eye is six inches, roughly. They vary a little bit. And then the, the weight, which is 20, is 20 pounds a foot. So they're measured in pounds per foot. Um, so, you know, everything varies. It could be like a W6 by 20, W6 by, you know, I don't know the exact, I have a book right here, but I don't know the exact, you know, weights for every single thing. But it goes all the way up from maybe a W5 to a, W30, 40, there, there's some crazy big I-beams that you can get. Yeah, um, what a lot of people don't realize, and I know like even for myself going from a woodworking background into metalworking is you can very uh, accurately know the weight of anything that's made out of steel mm. because steel always weighs the same. Like yeah. uh, 10 two by fours can weigh, you know, can weigh 10 pounds, it can weigh 20 pounds, it can weigh 30 pounds if they're soaking wet. Yeah. So it, it a lot of times when you're buying steel, you're buying by the pound. When you're looking at I-beams, if you tell someone, you know, that an I-beam weighs 30 pounds a foot and it's six inches tall, they can tell you how thick the actual material is because it, you know, that's just an easy formula. And I know when I first got into metalworking, it was something that, you know, at first it was a little bit strange, but when you go backwards from metalworking back into woodworking, it seems crazy to not know how much something is going to weigh. Yeah. You know, yeah, I'm, it, I'm pricing a job right now for actually another YouTuber to build a, a ramp on the roof of an Econoline van. And just by having my material list complete, I'm able to know exactly how much the ramp's going to weigh and whether or not the roof can support it. Um, 
And speaking of weight, something that I learned was that, you know, when trying to figure out how much weight I could put on the roofs, I read it in a a forum that if you think about it, that the frame of that van has to be able to support it in a rollover. So the Mm. the actual sidewalls of that truck can support like 3000 pounds. Oh, wow. Um, Obviously, we wouldn't want to put 3000 pounds on the roof, but... You know, I mean, and this is through a forum where guys are like, oh, I put, you know, you know, 17 levels of scaffolding on the roof of my econo line and drive all the time. I'm not trying to push it to the limit like that, but it's really nice to be able to draw something up and just be able to tell, you know, this is going to weigh, you know, I'm, I'm trending closer to 500 pounds. And even that is, is a little heavy. I'm trying to figure out ways to lighten it up, but um, it's, it's, it's a great learning experience. And speaking of learning, because learning experiences, Derek, what are you working on today? Well, I'm uh, not working on too much. I had a little bit of a setback. I had wrist surgery yesterday for a carpal tunnel. It's doing fine. A lot better today. A little bit painful yesterday. So things have been slow here. But I had a new addition to the shop. I got a new CNC that I purchased. And um, I've been assembling that, redoing the shop, kind of rearranging things, trying to fit it in there. So I've been busy with that, you know, just um, trying to get things right, trying to get things connected, uh, setting up Mark 3 software, which is very difficult, never used it before, and uh, having a really tough time with that. Thank God I had a couple of friends to, you know, really help me every night with it because I never would have been able to get through it. But but things are kind of at a standstill now for the next couple of days with this hand. So not too much going on here now. So I don't want to go into the story of the CNC just yet. I feel like we have to save it, but I want to know, and I'm sure a lot of people wonder, like you've been (laughs) fighting with, you know, you fought with your last CNC um, for months and everybody on Instagram that follows you knows your issues with that company and and the product. And then you got a new smaller CNC um, from Stepcraft and, and that was a great, you know, it's a great machine. And it has, but it obviously it has its size limitations. Now you got this new one, but yeah. what, uh, what put you in the position where you kept on with the CNCs and where do you feel like the CNC as in general is going to go for you? Why are you just chasing this path down so hard after all these setbacks? Uh, well, first I think I was like everybody else. I really didn't think it was much of a woodworking tool. And then once I got one and got a basic knowledge of how to use it, I really fell in love with it. It's just, you can do so many things with it so much faster, so much easier, frees you up to do other things while it's working. And, um, I'm just, I just enjoy working with it. I'm interested in, um, first it was signs. I also want to do some furniture with it. And, um, you know, and quickly size becomes the, you know, really limiting factor with them. So it was kind of nice to get one, but I really needed to move up to something bigger for some things I wanted to do. And um, luckily this one came available. And like you said, we'll talk about it in another video, another podcast, I mean, but um, it's just, um, it's a lot of fun. And it's, um, you know, something I thought I would never have. I never thought in a million years I'd have a CNC, never mind the third one and, you know, in less than a year. So it's, uh, it's been a, a fun ride. Not, well, not always fun ride. It's been an interesting ride, but, uh, like you said, we'll get into that another time. Yeah. And at this point you could probably teach a lesson on all the things that could go wrong. Yeah. Which is part of the, which is part of the best. That's like the best part, right? Like if everything had been perfect in those last two machines, I mean, excuse mm-hmm. me, the second machine had no problems, but if everything had been perfect with that first machine, yeah, it's, I mean, you would have it, missed out on so many th- troubleshooting lessons that are probably going to help you yeah, with this new machine. Yeah. I mean, you'll learn fast what you need to have and what you need the machine to do. And, um, you know, it was pretty obvious, pretty quick the limitations of the first machine. And, uh, you know, I just wanted to move on to something else after that. And luckily, like you said, the Stepcraft came available at a, at a good time. And that really opened my eyes as to what was possible. Did you, you go ever crap to good stuff? It's hard. It's hard to wonder how you ever worked with the bad machines. Yeah. Did you ever figure out what was making that thing, you know, shut off randomly? I, I, my dad would watch it every single day. 
Like I, your stories. Honestly, I think it was it. Um, electrical issues. I think it was just, um, I don't think the machine could handle, because um, it seemed to work fine until I added dust collection to it. And even when the dust collection was grounded, it was still having issues, but it was pretty obvious it was an electrical issue because it would work okay. And then once it was touched or something went near it, it would just spark and it would just shut down. So I think it was just real super sensitive to the, you know, electric, you know, you know, static electricity from the dust. With the dust and like the dust collection hose. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. I had I mean, a machine once that, and, and I, uh, people have, other people have had this too. I've seen it on, on Instagram where if I had a drill press where if I leaned my elbow on the drill press and touched this lamp in my shop, I would feel the tingling of the electricity in my elbow because there was an open ground somewhere. And it's so easy. Like most, I mean, most of the machines that we use are stupid machines, right? They don't know. They just get power, the motor turns and they mm -hmm. work. But when you put a, you know, a series of, you know, computers and, and all that stuff, like Paul, you don't have any cnc stuff in your shop no yeah, you just you do have a 3d printer though probably right i had a 3d printer but you know it was like kind of like a novelty it wasn't like a great one yeah. and i never really you know thought that like 3d printers and like cnc machine like you know cnc routers could be used in the industrial space or kind of in a, in a commercial way but now you know I've, I've definitely been proven wrong and like seeing like the one Derek got could actually be used in like a cabinet shop making mm. cabinets all day long. It, all, it almost replaces, you know, like drill presses and other things. Um, yeah. It's pretty cool to see that. I always thought they were kind of like a novelty because, you know, I always saw videos of like the little like desktop tiny ones where people are cutting out like, you know, five inch by 12 inch little, you know, pieces of wood. Or like, it's for yeah, making knickknacks. Like make like when I had my 3D printer, all I made was like a, a pencil holder and like, you know, a, a coaster. I'm like, what the hell am I going to do with this thing? But um, yeah. with the, you know, the, some of the more serious ones, people are making some crazy stuff, you know, like that thing Tyler um, Bell was making mm. um, for what, what even is that? It's like for his drink that goes on his one wheel. Yeah, it's like yeah, a, yeah. It's like a like a gyroscopic, gyroscopic almost gyroscopic yeah. drink. Yeah. Did I mean, you see how? And 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 for those who don't know Tyler Bell, we'll we'll surely talk about him, and uh, I'm, we're going to have to have him on as a guest because he's one of my favorite YouTubers right now. Yeah. But the way he did that, did you see Paul his video where as he's 3D printing it, he pauses the print and puts a steel puck. I saw that. That was print. smart. That was and smart. when I saw him do that, I was like, man, this kid, he's just if he should he works for Boeing, he should show Boeing that video and they'll be like, Oh, well, clearly we got to give him a raise. Yeah. yeah he's gotta cool. be the smartest guy in the room. So Yeah, if he puts any more stuff on that freaking one wheel. <laughs> I don't even know what he's going to put on. He's going to put a lift kit on it next. There's no one has ever thought like, well, I want to eat my lunch while I ride my one wheel. So I got to yeah, put this gyroscope on it. But shout out to put, Tyler Bell. He's going to put the 3D printer on the one wheel <laughs> as he's riding it in the woods, printing out new stuff. I love the stuff he comes out with. Like you uh, said, I think he's probably one of the best on YouTube. He's you great. I, I don't, he, he's got to, you know, I don't understand how he hasn't taken off yet because his video quality is like really good yeah i, I tell him that all the time i says don't change anything everything you do is yep. perfect the, exactly the content's great your, your video production's great i said you just haven't got in front of the right eyes you it know because a great time. job yeah yeah recently i saw a video um and it was like i don't know how it even popped up but it was about how to make a uh, marble track like, uh, and it might've popped up on your guys' YouTube too. Cause it, it went pretty viral. It's got like 4 million views and it's how to make like a simple, like marble game with wire and you put a, a steel marble on it. And it's this guy's, I think he's in Denmark. I don't remember his name, but, um, he, the video is so good. It's like so well produced. And the, the most liked comment is, I hope the algorithm finds you on this because all his videos are really good, but mm. none of them have you know, 4 million views. He's got like 50,000 subs. And it's so funny because I, when I saw it, I thought of like a Tyler where like it just, you know, as Jimmy Duresta says, the guy down in the basement's got to just flip the right switches. Mm -hmm. And and then next thing you know, you know, and I said this on uh, Chris Cash's podcast, you know, there'll be a time where we all look back and we think about how, like, remember when Tyler Bell's videos would only get a thousand views, mm -hmm. you know, like it'll be like something that we, we, we look back on and laugh about like Colin Furs. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. So, um, what I've been working on is 
I kind of went back to my roots today or uh, the other day. And one of the things that got me into making uh, and well, one of the things that got me into fabricating outside of just woodworking um, was learning how to make knives. And I've been thinking about making a chef's knife for a little while. The last time I made chef's knives was in 2013. Oh, wow. So like seven years ago was the last couple of runs of chef's knives that I made. I found my uh, book with all my old templates in it and I had put the date on them, which is something I don't think any of us do enough is put the date on the stuff that we make. But uh, so it's been about seven years since I made a chef's knife and I decided to go for that. But on top of kind of doing that, there's always a little bit of production work going on here. Been kind of just dealing with clients. A lot of my clients obviously are um, a little bit delayed with the coronavirus like you, Paul. I'm sure everybody's everybody's kind of hurting right now. But luckily, I, I've done a lot of stuff for some catering companies and for some event companies and there have been a lot of grants floating around that's been helping mm -hmm. those guys fund, you know, like f meals for nurses and doctors um, and stuff like that. So uh, one of the catering companies that I work for called me up and just said, you know, we, you know, we're basically working 24 seven and we, we wound up needing uh, to buy some extra gas ovens and the gas ovens needed these rolling carts that I've made before. So, you know, put in a call to my steel guy, had to steal the next day, did a rush order on some casters and got it done for them. They came and picked them up today. So I think, uh, we'll all be kind of adapting to the, to the economy as it changes. Um, you know, Paul with the way that I'm sure like, you know, your clients are going to have to react to building departments and stuff. Derek with the new CNC, you're going to be making uh sneeze guards before you know it. Yeah, <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm just trying to find clients out. that still have money to pay for the weird stuff that they asked me to build. So, All the art stuff, yeah. Yeah. So on, so I, I, uh, I do a lot of fabricating for and for a company that only does art fabricating, um, in Queens. And it's been weird. They, they've still been making the art, but none of the art goes to a actual gallery. The art gets photographed and then there are virtual gallery openings online. So the last piece I, I, uh, helped them with, I weld the armatures for them. They were getting it set up for the gallery's photographer to come out the next day and shoot it so that they could put it in an online gallery and hopefully sell it. So you don't actually, you're not even actually seeing the piece, which, you know, some of these pieces of art sell for a hundred grand wow. and you're just, you're buying it on, you're buying it on the name. So oops, I kicked something, but so that's what I've been, been kind of working on. Um, so yeah. It's funny when you said about writing things down, I wanted to grab this book. I got this from Jimmy the last time I was there. It was one of his leather bound books he made that says my inventions and my evil intentions. So of course he was showing me and I had to give him the guilty. Oh, I would love one of those. <laughs> and he had a look at it and says, man, I would love that book to write stuff down. So he gave it to me on one condition. He wrote in it. If you don't use this book, I'm taking it back from you. But I have to stop writing things down because I look at everything he writes down and it's just so cool to flip back and see, you know, what he was thinking at what point in time and what, you know, his thought process, you know, everything he comes out with. It's, you know, he, he's written it down. He's, you know, doodled it, redone it. And it's just pretty cool. And I want to start doing that. So you just reminded me about that. So that's a that's a good kind of segue into a question of, you know, what is your process when it comes to either get taking an idea that's your own idea or taking an idea that a, a, a client or, you know, um, you know, maybe not a client or a friend or a family member, someone that you're making something for. What's your guys process when it comes to taking that idea out of the sky and making it a reality? Well, I mean, I'll go first. I mean, I have a hard time coming up with ideas, actually. I, I think I have um, an easy time executing, but a very hard time coming up with ideas. And, um, you know, I talk to Jimmy about this a lot, and he says, you know, a lot of ideas, it's, you know, they're not original ideas. Somebody's done it somewhere before. You know, just put your spin on it, you know, and um, try to make it your own. So I try to do that. But I just have a hard time with, you know, I see, you know, like the gyroscopic drink holder on the one wheel. 
yeah, I don't have a one whale, but you know, I don't even think I would have thought of that even if I had a one whale. So it's like, I see stuff like that. And I'm always amazed when people come out with original ideas, something really original like that, you know? So, but I, myself, I have a hard time with that. But you say that, but then the other day I saw that you made a cup holder for your avid CNC because you needed <laughs> a cup holder. So if you yeah. had a one wheel, yeah, you couldn't put your Stokes iced yeah. coffee. Yeah, you would figure out a way to get yeah. that coffee. Yeah, on I, the I, one I, wheel. I, yeah, I might get, I might come up with that one now that you mentioned that. Yeah, for the Stokes. Yeah. yeah, just for the Stokes. <laughs> I'm, I'm very confident that Derek would have figured out a way to, to get that on the one wheel. Paul, we what about have, you? Um. Well, I, I don't know. I'll just, I don't like sit down and like, like try to come with, like, come up with ideas. I'll, you know, just be scrolling through, you know, maybe something on Instagram or I'll see something and it like sparks an idea in my mind and I just go write it down. I have like a little list in the notes section of my phones for all my like ideas and I'll just write it down so I don't forget it. And then sometimes, you know, when I need to make a video or something, I'll scroll through the list and like pick something that, that sounds interesting. Um, but you know, for certain jobs, like lately I've been trying to use like Google SketchUp and I also want to get a better, um, like CAD software, but I've been using those, jo uh, those softwares to lay out certain jobs to make sure, you know, everything works and I don't make any mistakes and everything's laid out correctly. Um, but when it comes to my more creative, you know, art, you know, projects for YouTube and stuff, I really kind of just have the idea in my head and I just start making it. I don't really you know, make like prototypes and stuff out of like cardboard or whatever. I just go right into making the thing. Like most of the things on my channel, um, or, or th those things are the first time I've ever tried to make that thing. So like, whether it's like a draw knife, like the first time I ever made a draw knife that I made a video about it. The first time I ever made a hammer, I made a video about it. So, um, I kind of just go for it and see what happens. A lot of times, you know, when I'm done making that thing, I know exactly what I did wrong and where I could have improved. But that's just the way it goes sometimes. Yeah, it's a learning experience as you go. I've been seeing you using the SketchUp more. Um, and it, it's funny as a tool, it's something that, you know, people, I feel like when people, I mean, at least when people first started thinking about SketchUp, it was like a way to draw in 3D so you could 3D print it. Mm. Right? And then it was like a kind of cheaper architecture tool. But I mean, it has so many great applications and I see the way that you use it when you're laying out railings and um, I use it on almost every single project and it's it's helped me make more money because what it's been able to allow me to do, and I don't know if you share your SketchUp drawings with your clients, but like these carts that I was talking about before, when I, I made those, first I made those a year ago, um, I took the measurements and I drew it in full 3D in SketchUp and sent it with the proposal and the first thing I got was like, wow, that's exactly what it's going to look like. You know, like mm. it's so much easier if, if something's $10,000 and all you tell them is, you know, it's going to be great. It's a lot harder to get them to agree to pay if, you know, versus if you give them a representation in 3d yeah. that says, this is exactly what it's going to look like. And mm. then, you know, they're like, okay, well, you know, it, people have a hard time, uh, generating, uh, a visual of what, what they're actually going to get. Um, and I found that, you know, for, for how easy it is to learn SketchUp, you know, nowadays there's so much information online. You can learn SketchUp so quickly. Um, it's such a valuable tool for someone that's trying to sell something to a client. You know, like if I was asking for a railing and you drew it for me in SketchUp and I could see exactly what it looked like, it's so much better than a picture of someone else's railing, you know, yeah. like, I'd rather see what, what your railing is going to look like and what you're paying for. Yeah. And it just saves me, you know, all the time and aggravation of like, mm -hmm. you know, fabricating a whole railing. And then, you know, I show up to the job site and the thing like is wrong. I didn't realize it was going to have this many pickets in it. I didn't realize yeah, it was going to have this many, you know, horizontal supports. angles wrong or something. So it basically gives you a chance to, to build exactly what you're building, you know, on the computer. You could see if it works. You could, you know, I, I build the whole thing and then I refer back to my measurements and I use the little tape measure tool. Mm -hmm. and, you know, just check all the measurements to make sure they match my original, you know, site field measurements. Um, and it just, it's easy because like when I'm at home at night in bed, I could, you know, make the model and then come into work the next day and actually print out pictures of the model with all the dimensions, cut everything that I need to cut ahead of time. And just like, like kind of like an assembly line, like throw the whole thing together. Yeah. Um, so I found it just, it, it's, it's better to take the extra time to just make the model and do everything right. Instead of kind of playing guessing games, like 
fabricating the thing as you go. Um, yeah. That's just what I found. It's always, People it don't realize how much more money you can make if you make a SketchUp model or any model. I mean, it doesn't have to be SketchUp. A lot of guys yeah. use Fusion or CAD. But like, um, I do all my material estimating in SketchUp. Mm. So like this last project, you know, I knew exactly how many sticks of angle I needed. I knew exactly how many pieces of plate I needed. Um, and then, you know, if you can go, if you go one step further and on some of my projects, like when I've built closet systems and stuff, I'll share the panel layout where I'll take the four by eight sheet of plywood, draw it in SketchUp and put all the panels on it. So yeah. like if someone really wants to build it, they know they need six sheets of plywood. They got to cut it up like this. Or if you go into even like the next step of automation, I could send that SketchUp file to Derek on his four by eight CNC and he could just print out essentially the whole closet, wow. you know? Um, and that's like, you know, people, people don't realize that, you know, what starts as a 2d SketchUp drawing because you need to, you know, to draw a weird angle that you don't understand. It's really easy to take it to the next step where if you do wind up with a CNC machine, even if you were one person that never thought you'd have one, um, you can become automated like that. I feel like it's something that a lot of people don't realize and they don't think that it's worth the time to learn SketchUp. They think like, uh, you know, I, I do fine right now on a pad and paper, but one of the things uh, that I had never done before, but one of my clients did with me last year was they had a guy, I was building a frame uh, for a, display in a mall out in vegas or vegas or in la i don't remember um and they had their guy in uh, on location take field measurements and make a sketchup model with the field measurements and then sent me the model so then i could actually pull measurements that he that were basically in the model that he maybe ne didn't necessarily tell me you know like he didn't tell me that the offset was you know three sixteenths mm. but if if the model is accurate I have now full access to the model. So what I did was I drew my part and I put it into the model and I just made sure that it would fit. And it was like, it was a really collaborative thing. It was a very simple project, but it was a really collaborative way to make sure that this part I was building, you know, across the country was going to fit when it got there. Um, and I'd never, I'd never, uh, I'd never done that before. I'd never actually like kind of sent over a SketchUp model that wasn't just like in a PDF form, you know? Something yeah. that somebody could edit and really look at it. It really expands upon what you can do with it. Well, the, all the CAD stuff, especially when it comes to steel and like larger steel fabrication shops, it's like, like pretty much the only way to go nowadays. Like, you know, in, the, in some of these bigger shops where they're like, you know, doing tons and tons of steel all day long, structural steel, you know, they have the detailers. They, they, a lot of them use um, a program called Tecla. And that's like, it's, it's basically CAD for structural steel. Um, and so that's the program they use and they basically, they'll take a beam right off the truck and, you know, they have these machines where it'll go into a machine, it'll get bead blasted. Then it'll go into like a Python or, or a beam line, get cut, get holes drilled in it. Some, some machines even have automated welders where they'll, they'll weld clips and different stuff onto the beam. And then it keeps going down a conveyor belt, you know, and there's other machines off in the corner that are cutting out the clips and all different stuff, like a mm -hmm. big plasma table that cuts out the clips those travel on a conveyor belt, you know, they get picked up by a robotic arm, put on the beam, welded, then the thing gets fed into, you know, a paint booth where it gets shop primed, and then it's out the door on a truck. Like the whole thing is completely automated and completely, you know, relying, reliant on, you know, uh, CAD models and, 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 you know, stuff done in Tecla. Um, so, you know, I really have to start learning all this stuff. I mean, if, if, of course, in the future, like I probably wouldn't be doing that stuff, you know, 20, 30 years down the line, if my steel business ever got that big, um, you'd have, you know, people who are specifically trained in, you know, detailing do that, but it's good for me to have an understanding of it. Um, cause that's definitely, you know, the direction everything's heading in is all, you know, 3d modeling and everything's automated and CNC. Um, it's just the most efficient way to do things nowadays, especially with like large structural steel. Well, yeah, absolutely. Well, one of the first projects I want to do is make a bathroom vanity. And that's kind of what I'm looking forward to, to model it and then just get a sheet of plywood and, you know, some hardwood for, you know, face frame and stuff and just have the whole thing cut out and mm. assemble it all. You know, I think, you know, it's, it's going to be a pretty basic project, but I just think the ability to do that, it's just amazing. You know, not having to measure this, cut this, run this through the table saw, you know, notch this, just to have the whole thing cut out digitally 
and then um, just assemble it. You know, I'm I, I, I'm really looking forward to doing that. You know, and I think that the 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 big thing about any of these kind of automated processes is like, um, you know, and, and I've seen it a lot because in the kind of construction world, you get a lot of like project managers and and kind of upper management guys that have no field experience. And it's a lot harder to like watch them walk a job site because they they just don't know what they need to do. But you know, with with the three of us and our backgrounds, like you know, Derek, you're gonna know right away when that thing is cutting on the machine. You're gonna know whether or not it's gonna work because yeah. of how many things you've built without mm -hmm. that machine. Yeah, um, getting that that kind of hands on knowledge prior is so important. And like, you know, same thing goes for Paul, you know, like going with, if you, if you decided that you wanted to spend a million dollars and buy a Python tomorrow, uh, you'll know right away. Like as the clips come off, like, Oh, well that, that's not going to fit. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Cause, cause you know, already, you know, like, uh, and, and, you know, there's definitely been times I'm sure for all of us, I know myself where on SketchUp, it looks like it's going to work. It's going to work. And then I'm going to put it together and I'm like, Oh, wait a second. Yeah. Yeah. That's not going to fit. Um, but you know, it's, it's, it's the, it's the, uh, the hands-on experience where, you, you know, you kind of did it the hard way, um, that makes it, I feel like makes it better when you actually go to do it automated. You know, like one of the things that I, I have the Wazer, right? The the little water jet, I wanted to make folding knives on it, but I made a bunch of folding knives just totally by hand. And while the Wazer is cutting out, sometimes I'll look over it at it and I'll be like, Oh, well, that's just not going to work. Like, I thought my model was perfect. I'm watching it cut. It's cutting a freaking, you know, a $40 piece of titanium. And as soon as I watch it go around the corner, I'm like, ah, it's just never going to work. Yeah. But if I was cutting it with the bandsaw, I could have stopped it. I would have just, you know, I would have resolved it. But since I'm, I'm running automated on some things, you know, you realize uh, where the errors are. But I feel like, uh, you know, maybe someone with a little less hand experience would let it would, would have to spend more time figuring out that the stuff's not going to necessarily work every single time. But um, usually for my planning process, I have I do the same kind of thing as Paul. Like I write stuff down in my phone and in like a little uh, note. And, you know, I get inspired by a lot of the stuff that my clients have me do. You know, like a lot of the stuff that comes through the client base that I've kept. Um, is interesting. You know, like I'm fortunate enough or I don't know, maybe stubborn enough that I kept my day job. Right. So I don't have to do, you know, I used to have to do every single job that came through the door, but you know, with my day job and stuff, I'm able to pick and choose the work that I do. So a lot of times the stuff that I pick is interesting, you know, like uh, a project that I'm going to be talking a lot more about is this project on, uh, building this ramp on the roof of this Econoline van. And like, um, that thing is, is totally unique. And, you know, even if I don't make a dime on it, it'll just be way more fun than like, you know, welding a bunch of, you know, stuff for somebody that, that maybe pays better, but is totally not fulfilling at all. You know, like if I wanted to go and, and, and weld brackets every day, I, that's what I would do, but I want to build cool and unique stuff. So to, to be able to engineer and design and do that kind of stuff, um, you know, obviously there'll be money involved in it, but, it's the experience of it is that much better. And, you know, w when you're making content, which the three of us all try to do, um, you got to always take the interesting job because it just makes for the better video. Mm. But, and speaking of that, uh, Paul hasn't made any videos in a while. I know. Um, but Derek <laughs> from Malden over here is getting back on the YouTube horse. So uh, let's talk a little bit about you know, our experiences with YouTube and, and what we have kind of planned for our channels, if there's any plans, uh, as we sort of close this out. Well, I'm trying to force myself to make content, even though I don't think it's good content. I just feel like I keep needing to make it just to get used to it, get used to using a camera, standing in front of a camera, talking in front of one editing, all those things I don't know how to do. The only way I'm going to learn how to do it is to just keep doing it. So I would get down on myself and just, you know, bummed out that my videos wouldn't get many views, but I just have to keep plugging away at it. Um, I want to try to get some more interesting things I want to make and um, put out there, but I have to remember to just keep making videos and they'll eventually get better. You know, it's not a competition against anybody. It's more of a competition against myself. So as long as I keep trying to make a better video than the one before, I'll be fine. And, um, 
you know, I, I'm doing it a lot just to kind of have like a, a, a document of my life. So when I'm gone, my kids and my grandkids can look at it and say, you know, look how much of a jerk your grandfather was. You know, <laughs> look at that birdhouse uh, that he yeah, made, though. Yeah, and that thing is gorgeous. The Russians loved it. They love it. They love me in Russia. <laughs> I'm very popular YouTuber in Russia. A little, a little background. Let's talk about the birdhouse for a second. So, um, what was it? Two a year ago. A year ago. A yep. year ago. Paul and I went to Boston for Derek's birthday. And how many views? Uh, well, let me step back a little bit further. Derek made a, a birdhouse. Um, yep. And uh, where, where was that designed from? It's like, is it, it's a round it was, birdhouse, right? Yeah, it was a round birdhouse. Like a cylindrical style yeah. birdhouse. Yeah, my wife had seen it in, uh, sh- uh, was it like Shopsmith, like Woodsmith or something mm-hmm. magazine. She said, oh, could you make me this? So I had some quarter inch uh speak cedar spanish cedar sitting around so i said yeah i'll make it so i made it and it got about a thousand views and about i don't know maybe two weeks later it started to get you know a couple hundred views a day then about a thousand views a day and your channel didn't have a lot of subscribers a year no no i had about a thousand subscribers at the time and then it got about five thousand views in one day and then it was 10,000 views in a day, then 30,000 views in a day. And then it had two back-to-back days. It got 100,000 views each day. And then it just stopped. It had 225,000 views. Yeah. And the man in the basement that. flipped the switch and just yeah. said, you're done. Yeah. They so, just shut you down. Yeah. So, But right now, it's just under 500,000 views. Oh, wow. I looked it up, and <laughs> it got picked up by some magazine in Russia and uh, the Russians love it. You the know, Russians they, they love you. They love those birdhouses. It's the beard. So. It's the beard. I love what the Russian I tell YouTube you a channel. year ago. <laughs> what did I tell you on your birthday a year ago? It it had six thousand views, and you said it was going to hit five hundred thousand, and I thought you were nuts. Mm-hmm. So yep. just about there. So it's exciting. Yeah, I should have I should have bet you something. I should have like put a dinner <laughs> on it or something like that. <laughs> I think but, I bought you dinner that night, my birthday. <laughs> yeah, I know. We tried to pay. I think we yeah. fought that night. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. Paul, what's the fate of your channel? I know you got um, a lot of projects going on with with your job, but I'm yeah. sure it's you know it's it's hard to add that layer of filming into that. You know, you're trying to make money. It's 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 a lot yeah. of. Uh, it's. I mean, it's difficult. It's it's hard to you know. One, I want to make entertaining videos. So if it's like a boring you know job, you know, it, maybe it's not boring actually doing it. But if it's boring on film. I don't want to make a video about it. Like I don't, I don't want to just put out videos just for the sake of putting out videos. If I make something, I want to make it, you know, interesting and something that people would like to watch. Um, but you know, I have a bunch of things I don't want to talk about just yet coming up, but I'm going to be making some videos on, on all that stuff. So everyone will see pretty soon, you know, all the exciting things that are going to be happening. Um, but for now I've been kind of just taking a break. Um, I haven't been making too many videos, but I want to keep it going and, and start to make more. Um, we'll see. You know, we'll see where it goes. I think that you've got you know uh, such an interesting story, and and I've said this to to Derek as well. And you know, I say it. You know, obviously, I'm interested in your guys' path and and the way you guys get to where you are. But I've also seen it sort of in the response to my own content because I've shared a lot about you know like the business that I run, um, and you know, I think that there are so many people like us. Um, and I don't just mean the three of us, but there's obviously a large community of friends that we have that, that have the same drive to make things and and learn things and create things, but don't, they, they don't have the, uh, they don't have like the kick in the ass to start. Right. Mm. Um, and obviously, you know, we're all, all three of us are in very different stages in our lives, right? Like Paul, you're 20 or 21, 20. Yeah. Paul's 20 <laughs> and you're working full time basically for yourself, advocating mm. steel, doing whatever job comes in the door. Derek, you're 51, right? Yep. 51. You work for uh, you know, a big company and you've been there, what, 20, 25 years. 32. Wow. 32 years for the same company. And, My youngest you know, kid is just about Paul's age. Yeah. And and now you're looking at the next step, right? You're That's looking right. at, you know, you just made Back a major back. investment in your future. Yep. And I'm I'm 31 and I still work full time. Um, and I, you know, I'm sort of on my way out of, or, or at least I hope I'm out of getting out of the workforce. I've always had my own business on the side. Um, since I was like 20, I think, 
I think I started doing side work when I was 22. So I've been, you know, doing side work for almost 10 years on top of working. And it's, it's finally at the point where I'm in my own shop and it's time to kind of figure out the next thing. But a lot of people, um, have the ambition to do the stuff that we get to do, um, either for money or for fun, but they don't really know where to go next. So the, that's kind of the roundabout way of me saying that. I think that, you know, the, the three of us have interesting stories in our, uh, in the way we kind of get through our jobs and our careers. And I think that, you know, especially with you guys, you know, Paul, people ask me what you do, you know, same thing with Derek, you know, like, um, and you know, people ask me like when we go to these events, like, oh, like, you know, you're friends with Paul Pinto. Like, so does he work for a steel company or, yeah. you know, so I think that there's definitely, uh, there's definitely interest out there and I'll love to hear from the people that listen to this, you know, and hopefully they'll agree with me, but I think both of you guys need to share more either on your channels or on your Instagrams about how your businesses work. Cause like everybody wants to know how to make money doing fun stuff. Right. And yeah, we love the stuff that we do. I mean, even when I'm doing a project that I hate, I still am like, well, this is better than anything else. I'm oh, yeah. Doing. It's better than being, you know, in a cubicle all day. Exactly. Like, the Paul, when you're bad. welding the spindles on a railing and you're at like number 40 or number yeah. 100, you're not having a great time. No, but it's when not you're great. Done with it, you're like, wow, this is awesome. You feel you know? like you accomplished something because you could, you know, take a look at what you just made like by hand and you could be like proud of it instead of just, you know, doing paperwork all day. Like I would lose my mind. Like this is way better than anything, you know, in an office. Um, yeah. but you know, with the whole YouTube thing, I I you know, I want to keep that like fun for, you know, my viewers and also fun for myself. Like, you know, who knows? I probably, chances are I'm probably not going to be, you know, some the next biggest YouTuber online. But I just want to, you know, make fun videos. I don't want to turn it into a business because I already have my business and I mm-hmm. enjoy what I do every day. So, you know, I just want to keep it fun and I want to worry about making money or like you know, sticking to a schedule and just putting out videos because I need to, you know, put out another video because I got to, you know, stay please relevant. Sponsor. Yeah, because I <laughs> please sponsor. Like, it's it's so much easier for me to make yeah money you know, just with my business. Oh yeah. No, I'm not saying to make money on YouTube. I'm saying share some of the information about your business. I definitely want to do that. You're right. And I'm, I have plans to do that once, you know, I got a a couple, you know, big things coming up over the next couple of weeks and all that. I really want to share, um, and, and, and definitely document, you know, and and gear my channel more towards my business. Um, and kind of let people know what I do and, and maybe even show some jobs, taking videos on site, um, fabricating stuff in the shop, talking more about, you know, the steel business in general. So that's definitely something I want to do. I just got a new camera too. Cause my, my old camera was kind of driving me nuts. Cause it, it was a really, you know, expensive, nice camera, you know, six eight years, years ago, ago. Eight years ago, <laughs> um, of course. And, and it yeah. doesn't have all the nice new features. Like, you know, it didn't even autofocus on, and when you took video. So that was like the biggest pain in the ass was it, I'd put it on a tripod and I couldn't move. Like I'd be stuck in one spot. So now I finally just got a nice new camera um, and it's going to make things a lot easier. It kind of got me motivated a little bit. Sometimes I got to buy something new to get me right. motivated. Hey, listen, I and know somebody else that just got a nice know. new camera too. Yeah, I did. I did. I did. I did get a nice new camera. I love how everybody thinks Paul's father is a blacksmith. That's funny. <laughs> everybody always says that? that's right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I was, it was funny you said that. I was thinking you two, your age together is my age. And I could probably <laughs> kick both your asses. <laughs> no, that's funny. The two of you together are 51. That's so crazy. I, You're right. Yeah. I'm trying wow. to grow my beard out like you know it can say. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. I thought you were. <laughs> I seen a little something there. No, but it is. It's funny. Everybody always says, isn't Paul's father a blacksmith? This no. Yeah. Yes, no. he is. Yeah. He doesn't want to do that. <laughs> yeah. No. 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 Um, yeah, I, I, it's interesting, like the different, you know, the different, uh, tactics back with the YouTube thing. Like, so I, I go by the schedule. I, I do the weekly videos. Um, not because anybody really makes me, I, I have some sponsor deals. Um, and, and, and it's a short list. I work with a couple of brands and the videos, anytime I sign an agreement with a sponsor, I never put a, like a deadline on the videos. We always make an agreement, um, that says I'll put out X a number of videos over the course of one year. And it's usually like four or five. Um, 
very rarely, if ever, have I ever made a video that had to be out on this day. Mm. Um, and it's just because those opportunities haven't really come my way. But now that I'm kind of set in this groove, I don't think I'd ever want to do that. Um, but the way I look at my channel is, you know, uh, obviously I try to stay consistent, but I think that, you know, the response that I've gotten is that people, you know, like I was just saying, people want to hear about the ways that you make money doing this stuff, you know, like, uh, you know, everybody knows and, and loves Jimmy's videos and the stuff that Jimmy's able to do. Um, right. And I'm sure there are, you know, he's got a million and a half people that love watching his videos. And I'm sure a lot of them wonder how the hell does this guy make a living? You know, cause making a knife that looks like a spatula is awesome. And his creativity should be able to make him a living. You know, and a lot of people think that like, right. Like Paul, like you, you're, you made the steel, that steel guitar. You didn't make a dollar on that. What'd that no. cost you? Like 500 bucks? Yeah. At least. Not that had much. If I got it yeah. for, like actually chrome plated, which I said it was chrome plated, but it wasn't, it was chrome powder coated. Mm -hmm. Um, cause real, the real chrome plating would have been like five or 600 bucks just yeah. for that alone. Yeah. It would have had to be prepped in a totally different way, but you know, it definitely cost me more money than I made on it. Cause my, I don't know what was up with the YouTube views. That one didn't do too well. It only got like 10,000 views, but, um, People, but it was, people don't realize that being talented and being creative doesn't make you a lot of money. Yeah, it, it, it doesn't, you know, alone, it doesn't make you any money. You got to, you know, yeah, have a, you know, business to go along with it. You got to have the knowledge to, you know, turn that talent into money. You can't just be, there's plenty of people that are probably super talented and they don't, can't figure out how to make money with that exactly. talent. So you got to yeah. put the two together um, to accomplish anything with it. Yeah. And I think that that's like, um, not to say that any of the stuff that I share on my channel shows like this amazing talent or, or creativity, but I think that I figured out a way to at least have my shop, which costs me like three grand a month. Yeah. So I've at least figured out a way to make three grand a month to keep the roof over my head. So if I can, you know, bestow that knowledge on anyone and help them kind of learn, that's what, that's the goal of my channel is to to educate on a broader scale and motivate people to do cool stuff. Um, and then, you know, uh, maybe, maybe make a little, may, maybe make a little bit of money doing creative work along the way. You got to feed your tool addiction somehow. Yeah, I have to feed my tool addiction. Funny enough. Um, and you guys, you guys, I won't, I won't say his name, but, um, someone that we all used to work with at a company that supports all of us. Mm -hmm. Um, recently sent me a message on Instagram and he goes, Hey Chris, I never, he goes, I only followed you on YouTube. I never followed you on Instagram. I, I see now that you literally spend all of your extra money on tools like LOL. And I was like, yeah, I mean, listen, I don't just talk about it. I mean, come on. I'd love to go through your shop and like count the physical like number of objects like so, there must be literally like a million individual objects so in that Chris shop. Chris Cash, Chris Cash bought a a whole shop maybe a year and a half ago. That machine and, shop. And yes, and he said to his wife, he said, "Honey, I'm a, I'm a millionaire." And she goes, "What do you mean you're a millionaire?" He goes, "I bought at least a million items." Yeah. When I bought that <laughs> shop and everything has to be worth $1. Yeah. Yeah. Everything in here, everything in this shop I could sell for at least a dollar. And I got to have a million things in here. So yeah, I'm a millionaire. You are. Um, well, so you anyway, won't sell any of it. I think, uh, <laughs> I think we'll wrap up for today as a little bit of an intro to the handmade podcast. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, we, you know, the three of us get into a lot of hijinks every week. We are always either going through something, either overcoming a problem uh, figuring out what we're going to do next, figuring out the next step for our business uh, or, you know, the next step for our lives. And we hope to take you guys along with us and uh, hopefully you guys enjoy it. Paul, you got anything, any last words? Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I think this is going to work out great because it's basically, you know, taking the place of one of our, you know, phone calls, one of our daily phone calls to each other. <laughs> yeah, that's so this isn't saying. anything new. We've been podcasting for about two years, years now yeah, and years. we just haven't uploaded anything. <laughs> yeah. So I think it's going to be great. I think today went really well, especially for our first one. So I'm, I'm excited about it. Yeah. That's what I was thinking too. It's just going to be uh, the weekly phone call. So yeah, be good. 
It'll be good. So. Well, thank you everyone for listening and come back for episode two where we will get into what we have going on during the week and uh, what is coming up next. Uh, so again, I am Chris Zepp for Make Everything. Derek from Alden. And Paul Pinto. <laughs> See you guys later. Thank you. If you like this show, take a look at our other shows made for makers just like you at www.makery.network. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.